Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Before we get started, I just wanted to share a few words about the book launch for my new book, All in the Same Boat. Pre-orders open on March 15th, and we will continue to take pre-orders until May 15th. I'm excited to announce we are going to do something completely different for this book launch. As I mentioned last week, anyone who orders the book during the pre-order period will get a signed copy of the book plus be entered into a drawing for some amazing giveaways. There will be more than 80 prizes given out during the live book launch. The grand prize is a hand-carved custom American wood flag from the Sasquatch Flag Company. Some of the other prizes include coffee from the Bottom Gun Coffee Company, coffee mugs from Code of Vets, bourbon glasses from Sailors and Sticks, Challenge Coin bottle openers from Test Depth, and this is kind of interesting, well, I'll actually be giving away other books. We have five copies of The Uncomplicated Coach from Neil Woodson and 50 copies of The Coach Approach by John Brubaker. These prizes are only available for those who order the book during the pre-order period, and every purchase book increases your chance at winning. So don't miss out on getting a little extra when you step up and be one of the first in the world to get this new book. I guarantee it'll be the most interesting leadership book you read in 2021. So pause this podcast and go to allinthesameboatbook.com to get your copy today to be eligible for these prizes. Thank you again for supporting this book launch and supporting this show. As a reminder, the best way to support this show is to visit my sponsors, bottomguncoffee.com and eyeofthewatch.com. Both use the discount code DEEP at checkout. Well, that's it. Today, my guest is Marnie Andes. Marnie is an author, consultant, educator, and entrepreneur. She was a college basketball player and former Mrs. America. She credits her success from the lessons she learned from her father growing up on a farm in Nebraska. She has a new book out called Start With the Give Me Shots, in which she shares eight lessons from her childhood that helped her succeed. She also helps readers reflect on their own life's lessons to find clarity and success on their own. This was a great discussion, and I love Marnie's insight and her homegrown lessons. I know you're going to love this one. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Marnie Andes. Marnie is a born and bred farm girl from Wallace, Nebraska. She is a speaker, consultant, educator, and entrepreneur who has dedicated her career to supporting teams and individuals as they develop and grow. She's written a new book called Start With the Give Me Shots, Eight Homegrown Lessons for Business and Life. In the book, she shares the life lessons she learned from her father and how they grounded her and helped her create the life she wanted. I'm excited to have her on the show and talk about this really special book. So, Marnie, welcome. Hi, John. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, it's good to have you on the show, and I'm really excited to talk about this uh, book and uh, and this project you've been working on. So, first of all, um, 
let's just talk a little bit about the book. The book was written to honor your father and all he taught you. So tell us a little bit about your father. Well, my dad was a really, I, I tell people he had a really robust personality. And I've, I've actually talked to folks about the fact that people say that I inherited his gift of gab. <laughs> I inherited my mother's looks and it was a great combination for me to actually benefit from. But my dad was, um, you know, my dad was a really great storyteller. He was um, very connected within the community. He just had a, a way of sitting and visiting with people and just loved to hear their stories. My dad was also known for telling a good joke here and there. And um, he certainly was uh, someone you could just sit down with coffee and, and just chat it up. So I, I really, you know, was able to sort of recall a lot of the lessons that he taught me. Certainly there's more than eight. I tell everyone that <laughs> happened to be like the eight core right. lessons that I've really drawn from my mother too, was very influential in my life. But, um, you know, he was just a, a big guy with a big personality and, and people just really loved him. And you, and you lived on a farm. I mean, you were a farmer. Yes. So yeah. What, yeah. what type of farming? So um, we farmed main, mainly corn and wheat. And then my okay. dad also, although he called it a hobby, it turned very much outside of a <laughs> hobby into a very big business at, at, at the time, by the time he passed away. But um, we, we uh, raised purebred, purebred Angus cattle. And so when oh, he wow. passed, uh, had a herd of about 600 of them. Oh, wow. And of course, you know, I was in 4-H. My brother and sister were in 4-H. We grew up doing that kind of thing, showing cattle and just sort of being in and around the farm. Mm. Uh, that's great. What a great, what a great, um, we're going to talk a little bit about where you come from and why, how that's important, but what a great, um, almost like a story childhood, right? Uh, growing up on a farm in Nebraska, right? And, uh, right. and, and that, what a great launching point for the rest of your life. Yeah. I think people don't expect that either. And what I found mm. is, you know, through sharing that, which I didn't share my whole life, I didn't mm. always share that I grew up on a farm and it wasn't, for any other reason than I just wasn't thought, I didn't think that that would really matter. But what right. I have found is when I do share that with people, I either find people that grew up very similarly to me mm. or people that are just genuinely interested of like, what was that like? I grew up in a city and, you know, we didn't, we didn't leave our doors unlocked or, right. you know, I have no idea how you would have possibly graduated with only 15 kids in your class, but <laughs> right. I have. Right. And that's, I think that's what's so interesting, which is why it's one of the lessons in the book I talk about, which is that everyone should be super proud of where they come from. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's, um, you've had a really interesting career, you know, I was getting ready for this podcast and, and so you were a college athlete, you know, you assume the title of Mrs. America you uh, had a successful professional career, and you founded uh, Project Aspire, which is a nonprofit to support women in their pursuit of higher education and leadership opportunities. So how much of the success in your life has been as a result of the lessons from your father? Well, I've just attributed so much of the success, probably the majority of the success. And, and a lot of those things that are all woven together, all the the moments that you that you shared just now with your listeners of the things that I've accomplished in my life, I you know I look back at it as I was just willing to learn and grow. I mm. I love to learn how to do something new, and you know many times that's what it took. I was willing to work really hard. I mean, certainly that's pretty apparent when people are playing college athletics, right. um, athletics at any level. I, right. I mean, I don't want to negate the fact that high school athletics are really tough too. So I think you know, a lot of that is sort of woven together that, you know, assuming the title of Mrs. America was, I didn't know a lot about competing in pageants, but I learned what it took to compete in pageants and did it. And, wow. and, and then there's just sort of like this undercurrent of probably 
a competitive piece of it, but also just the, you know, you could try and do anything. And that was the one thing that I, I think my parents did really, really well without actually saying it hmm. was, you know, it, it doesn't matter where you were raised. It doesn't matter that you were, you come from this very simple community or this very simple life. If you want to do something, you can pursue it. And hmm. They didn't actually ever say those words. I don't really recall those words, but the environment in which my parents created in our home with myself and my brother and my sister really, that was just sort of the un, the unspoken mm-hmm. current that sort of went throughout our household, which is you can do anything you want if you learn how to do it. Mm. Yeah, it's it's uh, apparently because you've done so much, so you've had a quite a, quite a broad range of uh, uh, success in your career. So that's uh, so it must have been something that you picked up over uh, over over that upbringing. So so let's talk about the book. Start with the give me shots. Now, um, who is it written for, and what do you hope people are going to get out of this book? You know, when I started to write it, John, I, I actually was trying to figure out how to write it for myself. In some mm. sense, I was. Through my work, I I do a lot of leadership development. The teams that I lead do a lot of development within the corporate environment. I've I've almost stepped into certain roles where I'm providing executive coaching to other leaders that I'm working with. And what I found was I was in some way, shape, or form sharing a lot of these concepts with folks Mm -hmm. through conversation. Mm -hmm. If I was trying to provide some sort of strategic planning presentation for folks, if I was trying to help them understand like, you know, why we should do something and not this over there. And I would always draw from these. So at the, at first it was like, could I just put these ideas to paper? Does it, could I actually make sense of what are the lessons? How do I talk about them? What order would I talk about them in? Mm. And after I started writing and really digging into it, I found that had I written this to my younger self, had Mm. I had this early on in my career, that would have been incredibly rewarding. So I do think that, you know, folks, you know, in their early career, mid-career would absolutely draw a ton of knowledge from these lessons and be able to apply them right away. But since the book has launched and I had invited a few people to read it beforehand just to provide some feedback and that very intentionally, I asked people to do it, men and women, um, different ethnicities. I add diff- I added different age groups. I really wanted the feedback. And what I found was there's a sort of universal sense from folks that there are these lessons that are within all of us. And folks really did resonate with the lessons I shared. They may have been called something different when they were growing up, or maybe they learned it from a different person. But the essence of just having lessons that have been with you your whole life, but maybe you haven't tapped them or maybe you forgot about them, that seemed to hit home for everyone who read the book. So um, I think that gives you sort of a sense uh, of, of who would benefit from it. Um, and, and quite frankly, I, you know, the opportunity to be able to speak to folks that are trying to navigate a career, I think these are some really powerful lessons for them. Oh, that's great. And I even saw there was a quote from somebody from New York City who read, you know, who read the book and, and it resonated with them. So you, you, you took it from a, a farm in Nebraska and you told stories that resonated with somebody, you know, in a city. So that's uh, right. pretty remarkable. Yeah. Thank you. That's neat. So, um, so let's, uh, in the book, you talk about your father's, um, you know, the, the, the lessons that he learned. You use, you, you do, you pick on these eight lessons that you tell. Um, but you name the book, uh, after lesson two. So why is the book called Start with the Give Me Shots? Well, when I was writing that particular lesson, uh, 
it was so vivid. I mean, I mm. could, I could smell the smells of that many years ago. I, I could just feel everything around me in the environment. And it, it happened to be also a story I've told many times. I've told it with teams I've led. I've told it with friends that I've had. I've sat on calls working with the CEO of, of our organization and actually described why starting with the give me shots really matters, not only to everybody who's working on his leadership team, but to the business itself. Mm -hmm. And what I found was like, that was the one that just really grounded me. It was also just a really fun term that was unique to my dad that I thought was really special to be able to have on the title of the book. And, and really the third piece, when I was working with my publisher and they were, you know, trying to, we were trying to spitball ideas on like, what would be the title now that we know mm -hmm. that these are the eight lessons and we just couldn't get away from it. It was like every time we turned the corner, it was like, it has to be start with the give me shots. I just don't know <laughs> other what other title makes sense. So yeah. um, that's really sort of where we landed on it. And um, I, I think, again, that the principles within that lesson itself are, are really powerful. So it makes sense that it's also the title of the book. Yeah. So let's talk about that that one lesson. Mm -hmm. let's, let's, stick, let's stick with lesson two there. So what are the give me shots? What, what did your father mean when he said that? Yeah, well, it's actually a story. I, I played basketball. In fact, I played I played any sport I could play when I was growing up and I ended up playing basketball in college. And I remember this one uh, fall afternoon when I had decided just to come out and shoot around on the basketball hoop and, and our our driveway that he had quite frankly, as much as everybody thinks he, he poured that driveway for the new farmhouse. It was really to pour that driveway for the basketball hoop that he wanted for his kids to be able to play on. And so I kind of come outside and I was just randomly shooting these shots. I mean, I'm talking like launching them from like the three point line and it, there was no rhyme or reason about it. And he was in the far pins actually feeding the cattle. And all of a sudden I hear him yell up to me, Marn, start with the give me shots. And he had said this to me before. And what the give me shots were to my dad were the shots that were like two feet away from the basket on each side and then right in front of the rim. And I remember that day when I had, after I'd chased the ball all over, um, shooting from the three-point line, he came up and met me and just said, you've got to start with the give me shots. Yeah. And once you get through the give me shots, then you could make your way outward. And, and really for him, I mean, he was pretty adamant about it. In fact, you know, from that point forward, I shot a hundred shots from each side and in front before I ever took another shot. Mm. And that was at home shooting around. That was in the gym during regular basketball season and practice. I mean, it was really, anytime I went to camps, I did that too. And his belief was if players in fact took the time to get so good at the give me shots, not only would they be unstoppable if they were put, you know, put pressure on them, um, they would make it more times than not, but then they would also be able to continue to hone that shot and move farther away from the basket mm. and still be really successful. And so the way I've applied that to my life and business is get really good at what you do well, get really, get really clear on what your fundamentals are that make you extremely unique in your craft, in your career, whatever that may be. Businesses need to get super clear on what makes them unique, the fundamentals that make their teams unique. And the idea is to practice those every day. And, mm. and what I think too many times people do is they say, Hey, I'm really weak in this area. So I need to work on that. And I tell people, I still work on weaknesses. I still want to make myself better in some of those areas. But when I do something well, even if I'm at the best at it compared to the rest of my peers, 
or within the context of wherever mm. I'm living career wise, that's even more reason to practice that every day because you want to be so crisp. You want to be so good at those things that you can draw from them whenever needed. And you're going to be really, really good. And so mm. I just, I'm a believer in the fundamentals. I think if you do the fundamentals really well and your teams do the fundamentals real well and your business does it, then when you want to get creative, when you want to innovate, all right. those things become way more possible because you're so good at the foundational principles um, for which you can be successful. Mm, that's great. I mean, you know, we were talking before we started the show, I was a naval officer on submarines and we would practice the same things over and over. They were drills, casualty drills, you know, flooding, fire, you know, reactor scram, uh, missile problem. We trained and trained and trained uh, to where we didn't sort of think about it anymore. It was just, you know, it was muscle memory. We just, we we reacted. And then when the casualties piled on top of each other, it was no problem because we knew we knew what to do because we had practiced the fundamentals over and over again. I think that's what made us so uh, resilient to, you know, the type of battle scenarios we would run into. And um, so we just were, were well-practiced. We practiced the fundamentals over and over and over again. So, and it right. became natural to us, you know, it became uh, muscle memory, you know? Right. And I think about, you know, think about the year we just had and what we're right. still doing amidst the pandemic and COVID-19 I, you know, I think about my own team. I mean, we were asked by the organization to really step in and help support um, this movement into telemedicine. I work for a healthcare right. company. I've worked in that space for a while now. And, you know, I had people ask me, like, how is your team able to so quickly pivot and do those things and be able to put things out that maybe other teams weren't able to mm. do? And I said, because we work these fundamentals all the time. And I think about our fundamentals that set us up for success. I mean, we were already collaborating online. We, we already had processes in place in which we knew how we designed and how we you know, kept the teammates at the center of it all. And so when, when we were asked to basically help train all of our physicians across the country on telemedicine, it was like, okay, well, we just need to get a platform up and running. We need to learn the um, the different platforms themselves so that we can adequately teach. But but all the other logistics behind the scenes that was maybe help making other teams scramble, maybe other industries scramble, right. we didn't have to do that. Right. So I talk to people about that too, that that's, the, that's really the reason why the fundamentals are so incredibly important because then when you're met with challenges or yeah. things that disrupt you that you hadn't anticipated, you can rely on those foundational principles and your team right. and you individually can pivot much more easily than you would if you weren't practicing those all the time. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, my, in the submarine analogy, we, we knew what each person was going to do without them saying it. it was just because we were used to doing it. And, and, and these were in scenarios where we're wearing masks and, and, you know, we're, it, you know, there's fire hoses and everything. We just knew what to do because we had practiced so many times. So we, we as a team operated, uh, that way, not just one person, but as a team, we operated it like almost as one unit because it was so well practiced. So it sounds like yeah. your team did the same thing during the, during the COVID crisis. So that's, yeah, we uh, did. That's really good. So, you know, we were talking a little bit about, um, the one of the, uh, one of the lessons in the book is be proud of where you came from. And, um, you know, obviously you, you come from the, 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 you know, from a farm in Nebraska and you've done all these things and you kind of kept those lessons with you. You know, what, what about some other people that might not have that, uh, be proud of where you came from? They may not have had the, that strong family connection, a father that, uh, you know, applied all these lessons. How can you still be proud of where you come from if you don't come from a, 
the type of background that you've come from or, or, or like for myself, I, I grew up in a small town uh, in, in New England. And, um, and I always kind of go back to those are my roots and that's who I am as a person. But what, how, do, how, do you, how, how do others can, how can they deal with it if they didn't come from that kind of a background? I think it's a great question. You know, I talk to people about it's being proud of the story that you have, being uh, proud okay. of where you've come from, too. So there's a there's a physical piece of it, which is, you know, perhaps where you were raised or how you were raised. But then right. there's just the story that you've built throughout your lifetime that I think people in some cases maybe shy away from it and aren't proud of it. And I'll, I, I will give you an example. So one of the things that obviously is on my bio, you introduced me this way, is being a collegiate athlete. And I was, I had a full, full ride scholarship. I went and played basketball at a division two school in Nebraska. And I played one year. I played one year because I didn't have a great experience. And I decided to leave after that one year, transfer to another university. I was asked to walk on. I was asked to come back at one point and was given, you know, would get be given a full ride scholarship. But because of the pain of that story and that pain of that experience, I didn't go back. And mm-hmm. I will tell you that for the longest time, I really regretted that because I, I said to myself, you know, then you really weren't a college athlete. You know, you only played one year. You know, yeah, you had a full ride scholarship, but that isn't that big of a deal. And actually, the more I talked about that and more about like what my story is, I would find other collegiate athletes like that. My husband's one of those. He played two years of men's volleyball at Ohio State. I've met other people that played two years volleyball over here. They played one year and they ran track or they did this. And and it's interesting because all of a sudden we're like, we felt bad about it for so long that like something meant that we didn't accomplish something. And I will tell you, that I now am very clear that that is my story. My story isn't one of playing four years. My story is one of playing one year, having a really tough time at it, not having the best experience, but I want people to learn from that. And that's incredibly important that people know that that's where I came from. That's what has made me me and has absolutely driven other opportunities in my life because I remember that experience. And, And so it's more of this overarching theme of be proud of the story that has brought you to this place, whether it was incredibly exciting and loving, or if it was really, really hard and disappointing. I agree with that. Uh, In fact, uh, I just was thinking about it because I put, I put this in my latest book about the hero's journey, you know, the tough times that we go through, you know, we, when you go to a movie, right, or you read a great novel, there's always a hero that has to overcome you know, all this uh, challenge that gets gets put in front of them, right? It's, you know, Lord of the Rings is a great example where there's, you know, there's a hero, young, young hero that has to bring this ring to this mountain and everything goes wrong and, and they have to overcome. And, and we're really attracted to the hero as they go through this pain and through this trials and, and, and then, then they come out, you know, on top, of course, in, in Hollywood, everything ends, you know, with a good story and, you know, they win, but, but the hero's journey is what makes us interesting, right? We all go on that hero's journey. We all go through some really rough times in our lives, whether it's where we grew up or an, uh, an experience in our lives that really, you know, was a very traumatic experience or what have you. But I think th- the more of those that we have in our, in our journey, I think it makes us a more interesting person. And it, and it creates a, I don't know, a more compelling character, uh, in, in ourselves because we've had those, uh, we have the scars from some past experiences. And, and I think it really ha- makes us to be a more, you know, makes us a more interesting person. I think of, you know, uh, you know, a boring life, right? You could have n- not gone through any trials and, and then you have 
you know, but you're not that interesting a person not having gone through some of those experiences. So I think, I think you're right. I mean, what our story is, um, it's our story, right? And all those things make us who we are, all those challenges, all those, uh, even the good and the bad make us who we are. Right. I mean, it's, it's authenticity. I mean, right. people being able to step in and say, that's my story. That's who I am. That's what's, you know, led me to make these choices or this is right. you know why I act this way or why I behave this way. Um, why I have these preferences, if you will. Right. Right. And, I, and I think a lot of it too, is it's not just to have the courage for us to each share our stories. I mean, obviously you're sharing your story through your, your new book and probably your first book. I'm sharing my stories through this and we have way more stories beyond that. And I think it's, it's for all of us to not only be willing and have the courage to share it, but to create this space where other people feel like they can share their authentic stories as well. And I, Mm. and that to me is like, that's the power of the lesson. It's yes, being really clear and honest about what your story is, but you've got to create this environment where other people feel like they can share their story as well. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Is your boss a jerk? I understand you're in the hospital, but I'm going to need you to come in today. Do they lack any ability to actually lead people? Oh, it's fine. I'll I'll just find somebody else that can do it, okay? John is offering a new service just for you. For only $10, he will anonymously mail a copy of his best-selling book, I Have the Watch, to your boss with a personal note. Go to IHaveTheWatch.com and enter the discount code BOSS at checkout. Deep Leadership is brought to you by my friends at the Bottom Gun Coffee Company. Bottom Gun is owned and operated by U.S. submarine veterans, and no one knows coffee better than the men and women who serve long hours keeping watch under the sea. Bottom Gun Coffee Company has a variety of coffee blends designed to keep you moving. From Ahab's Revenge Extremely Strong Coffee to their morning blend, Bottom Gun purchases only premium certified organic coffee beans from all over the world to create the finest tasting coffee you will ever experience. It's what I drink every day. Bottom Gun is offering a discount to the listeners of Deep Leadership. Go to BottomGunCoffeeCompany.com and enter the discount code DEEP at checkout. Bottom Gun Coffee, the taste that's qualified. nice that you wrote the book this way because I think people are going to be attracted to those stories and they're going to learn it better because they've heard it through your eyes right versus just you know a bullet point list of things you should do right I think I think stories I think we you know we we come from a long line of storytellers right so we we're humans are attracted to stories and I think your uh, this book being written like this I think is gonna it's gonna teach more lessons than if it was just a bullet point list of things to do in your career so I love that. Yeah. Well, I don't know how to teach any other way. I mean, I've, yeah. I've always told, I, whether it be teams that I've led or other folks that I facilitated development opportunities for, I've always said, like, I have to share with you what I've done and where I've either mm-hmm. had really great success or where I've, where I've fallen flat on my face. Because, you know, that's how I learn. I appreciate people being open and honest about that. I appreciate them saying, like, here's the, here's the real deal. This is how right. I did it. Right. Um, or this is what I tried to do and I didn't, it didn't work out so hot. And yeah, and maybe yeah. it took me 10 years to figure it out. I think the, the realistic view of it is also incredibly important. And I talk about that, you know, the collection of stories, I tell everyone the real at the heart of it is that it's simple. I mean, these are very mm-hmm. simple lessons. And I try to paint that picture of not only how I learned them and how I think they can apply them, um, but they're not easy. And I think that's where people get caught is I want this sort of easy fix. And 
these aren't easy fixes because these are the right. life lessons. These are the things that, you know, you recognize that they're important. Maybe it takes you a few years to figure that out. Yeah, Maybe it takes yeah. you a lifetime to figure that right. out, but, but they're not easy to practice. And so really where the biggest ask of the reader is take time to practice it and know that you'll always be practicing this. Mm. I mean, my husband and I talk about it, you know, there's never going to be a mastery checklist for us. I'm never going to just be like, Oh, well, we got it. I mean, vacation, we figured it out. I mean, we, Oh man, we know exactly how to raise (laughs) our kids. I mean, we're like, we're like in this big jumbo experiment right now. And we have to be willing to try some things, fail at those things, learn from them, be honest with ourselves, be honest with our kids, be honest with our friends, family, coworkers. I mean, that's, what this life experiment is in my mind. And so I feel like these are the ways that you can ground yourself instead of, you know, over analyzing too much information. It's like, these are a simple view of it, but it's still going to be hard, but you can do it if you practice them. Yeah, absolutely. I do. I do like what you're saying because I think it's really important, especially from a leadership uh, perspective is authenticity, right? As, as being a leader and being a, being a person, being real, with uh with your team. So I think a lot of a lot of leaders, especially young leaders, think they have to be a certain way, right? We have mm-hmm. to act a certain way. I'm a leader now. So I have a I have a corner office and I have to I, you know I have to be stoic and I have to say everything's gonna be great. We're gonna be fine. And and I don't think we want to be led by robots that uh, have all the answers. We want to be led by authentic leaders that uh that have a story that have not always succeeded, that are willing to say, I made a mistake, I made a wrong decision, but I think we need to shift our strategy and move in a different direction. I think when you're working for a really authentic leader, you know it, right? You know that they're real and you know that you can, you can trust them because they're, they're giving you the, you get real, you get the good and the bad, right? It's not always like, you know, a a good story every time. So I think being, you know, having authentic, having an authentic life and, and being an authentic leader, I think is a powerful lesson as well. Right. I, you know, I've worked for both. I've worked for leaders that really struggled with this and I've worked for leaders that have been incredibly good at this and Mm -hmm. certainly have modeled my view on leadership and how I've led teams, which is, you know, I tell people, sometimes it's not easy to tell the truth. Sometimes it's really hard to tell people that you've messed up or that you've, you've done something that, you know, maybe you're not proud of, or that you need to, you know, go Mm -hmm. back and fix. But I think it's one of the most powerful things that leaders can do, especially early leaders, like to your point early in their career is be willing to admit those mistakes, be super honest with people and, and, and ask for the feedback so that people know that it's safe to be honest with you for themselves as well. So you just sort of create this environment and I also think early in the career from a leadership standpoint to show authenticity means you ask a lot of questions. You're inquisitive. Yeah. You want to yeah. learn more. And, yeah. and that's because you're genuinely interested in the authentic side of others. Yeah. Yes. And, and if you model that, that can be incredibly powerful. It may seem like mm. it's almost, you look around and go like, is it really supposed to be that yeah. simple? Yeah. It is. But it is. if you create that kind of environment and I certainly, you know, the team that I have, right now is, you know, we do a lot of work and it's intentional. So just because we model it or we facilitate it, we also do what we ask others to do. So we are constantly in coaching engagements. We're, we're constantly doing, you know, cohort work where we actually get together and do peer focus groups and we do peer coaching. I just, I think that's the kind of behavior that as a leader, you can model it, but also engage with your team in doing it. 
Yeah, I like that a lot. I think it's great. I think I think authenticity builds trust too and respect. Mm-hmm. And I think those are those are some things. If you're genuinely genuinely interested in other people and their lives, they see that you're there's there's a connection there beyond just a boss, you know, worker relationship, right? You you treat them as a person, you treat them with respect, and they see that. And and I think people respond well to that. So yeah, yeah. agreed. So um, one of your one of the lessons your dad talked about was always trying to find a win win solution, and mm-hmm. and uh, I think you describe a time when uh, you, you had a win win solution wasn't possible, but you learned a lesson as well through the experience. So tell us a little story about trying to find a win win when it didn't seem like that one existed. Right. Well, I, you know where I've heard people talk about this concepts quasi, you know, yeah. somewhat close to what I have is it's like, Oh, we always, you need, you need to find this compromise. It's like, where can you meet in the middle? And what I learned from my dad is that's not always the case. Mm. Really. If you just focus on always creating a win-win solution, what that may mean is, you know, John, if you and I are working on something together, the win-win may be that I work 75% of whatever that project is, and you work 25%, but because of the nature of the relationship, it actually makes sense for us to do that. Mm. And, and if we can, you know, the end result ends up being this, you know, fantastic output that we're actually to help a client or whatever that looks like, that's a win-win for both of us, even right. if it feels like I took the brunt of it. And, and I think people forget that because they think like, well, you know, what's it, what's in it for me and what's in it for you. And if you're not giving me enough and, you know, I really look at it, you know, especially when I navigate, you know, a new organization. Um, certainly I've changed, you know, uh, my employers from time to time, you know, I'm, I'm working for what's the right fit for me. And, and many times when I go into a new organization, that's what I'm trying to figure out is, mm-hmm. you know, how do people win in this organization? How do they find success? How do they really impact the business in a positive way? And you start to, to figure out what the relationships are. Mm-hmm. what you have to do to have and create win-wins. And so, you know, I'll give you an example in the workplace. And then I'll certainly give you an example in a personal <laughs> space, which is, you know, in the workplace, our, our team has an opportunity to work with so many different groups within the mm-hmm. organization. In fact, it's really, it's really nice to be a wanted team, quite frankly, because of the, the nature of the work that we do. And, you know, I always share with the team that sometimes it may feel like, gosh, we just don't have enough capacity to take on this. But if you look at the long game and say, but if we were to do this specialized project for that particular team in this part of the organization, it might set up, you know, the roadmap for work that we might do for the next two to three years. And that would be really important. So are we willing to maybe feel like we're a little exhausted and a little overworked for the win that we would have down the road? And then we talk about it because in some cases we might go, you know what, it's not worth it. And then we go, okay, it's not worth it. So we'll know that that wouldn't have been a win-win. So we'll move on. But in other cases, we might say that it is really worth it. Mm. I think this can absolutely be used in relationships. And in fact, I think it actually needs to be applied more so in our personal relationships. Because I think people maybe tend to hang on to relationships because they don't know what to do with them. And that's a hard position to be in. I've been in that position before. Um, But if you could think about it as, you know, what do I need to win in this? And if, if I'm the one that's always working on this relationship, or I feel like I'm the one that's always having to overextend myself, and maybe that's just not feeling so great anymore. First of all, tell that person, Hmm. can we, can we meet in a better place so that we both have a really great experience? But if that person isn't willing to do it, then it becomes your litmus test to say, you know what? It's not that that's a bad person. That's just not a great win-win relationship for me. And so now it's time to move on. And now it's time to say like, how do I use that as the litmus test of who's in my circle moving forward? And 
And it's okay to move on. It's yeah. okay to say somebody who's maybe been my friend or somebody that I've stayed connected to with for the last 20 years, maybe they're just not that right relationship for me moving forward right, because I've met right. other incredible people. So right. I, you know, my dad used it in a lot of ways from a, you know, who was he going to have relationships with? Who was his business partners of, you know, getting the best cattle or his, you know, machine yeah, refixed. Yeah. I mean, he really thought about like that. And a lot of times he'd say, I'm going to do this for a couple of times, but if it feels like I'm the one that's only doing the work here, then yeah. I'll move on and find someone else to do that work with. Yeah, that's neat. Yeah, that's neat. I just, the way you talk about your father, I just, uh, it, it's almost like, um, like a storybook time, like a time before we had social media and we had cell phones and we had, you know, we worried about who, how many likes we had on Instagram, right? He was living a very genuine life and, uh, you know, raising a family out on the farm, having those personal, real relationships with people in the community and, and, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, almost we almost miss that these days, right? Mm -hmm. We're, we're kind of running. I mean, I, the, the young people today are, you know, they're chasing likes on their, uh, on their devices and they're doing TikTok dances and what have you. And it's like, they don't have those genuine. I think they miss out on some of those genuine relationships. It sounds like what your, like what, what your father had and experienced and what you saw growing up as well. Right. Well, I mean, the community itself, I'm very, very grateful for the community of Wallace, Nebraska. I mean, everything was very much centered on yeah. really the kids within the community. And so, we, you know, yeah. there's always a running joke of like, if we ever made it to the state tournament, which was always four hours away in Lincoln, Nebraska, <laughs> that's where the state tournament was held when I was in high school. And we say it was like the burglars free for all in Wallace, right, Nebraska. Right. Everybody but nobody ever locked their front door <laughs> and everyone was gone because they were there, you know, watching the state tournament and supporting and, and I still believe we can have that. I, I don't know that you have to, live in a farming community mm -hmm. to, to understand why that's important. I think the concept of community yeah, yeah. Can, can actually be achieved even though we're in this age of likes and social media, yeah. it's, yep. it's intentionally slowing down and, and actually giving ourselves permission to not be overscheduled. I, yeah, yeah. I find since living in the city and I remember, you know, the first time when my oldest who's 16 now, um, when he was probably like midway through elementary, I remember this concept of playdates being introduced yeah. to me. And I was yeah. like, what my playdate <laughs> growing up was like, you showed up at somebody's house and was right. like, hey, is, you know, I, yeah. I remember my best friend, she lived in town when I was growing up. And um, I mean, it was mostly like, hey, can can Heidi go play? I mean, so that it would be like, yeah. is somebody dropping me off in town or can her mom and dad bring her out to the farm? I mean, right. It just wasn't so complicated, even after games. I mean, I think about this too. Like, even though you, you would have been at the gymnasium all night and everybody would have been wiped out. Of course, there was always a cake raffle at halftime. So you might just follow the person home that had the yeah. cake. Yeah. <laughs> just be right. like, you know, they didn't care if their house was clean. They didn't, you know, it didn't yeah. matter that it was yeah. like 10 o'clock at night. You just, you got together. And I believe we can still have that. I think we've just been caught up in this, like, everything has to be perfect and everything yeah, has to yeah. look amazing online. And it, it just, no, life that's isn't not real. No, that's life's not like that. Right. Life's not perfect. Life's not, uh, you know, everything is perfect and, and neat and orderly and tidy. No, mm. I mean, I think that's the same thing with relationships. They're, they're messy, right? People are messy as a leader. I've that's one thing I've learned is that people have all sorts of different backgrounds and experiences and they come to problems completely. They look at things completely different than I do. And I think, I think as a leader, we have to be able to have have that flexibility, be able to deal with all sorts of different personality types and try to get the most out of every, you know, every every employee's 
operates just slightly different, right? And just you have to find the ways that motivate them the best. Some some people do need a kick in the tail and some people need encouragement and some people just leave them alone and they're going to do great things. But you have to know that as a leader, you have to have that relationship. But but people don't come cookie cutter and they don't, you know, they come with a lot of problems and challenges and issues and and so do I. <laughs> so so right. every time, you know, you have that relationship, it's real, it's authentic and it's sometimes messy. So, and I think mm-hmm. that's uh, that's what life is, you know. But I think you still find those opportunities where, you know, you can win, they can win, um, you know, the company can win and all these things can combine. And actually, you know, you can create an environment where people like to come to work and they're respected and they're listened to. You know, I think those those are, you know, and as far as why I do this podcast and why I write my books is I want to create those environments. I want leaders to create those environments where people like to come to work and they they're respected at their jobs and treated with respect. I think that's something mm-hmm. that. In a lot of cases are missing in, in a lot of big corporations. So right. I think that, uh, yeah. I agree a ton. And I think um, one thing that you've even hinted at too, which is, you know, it's nobody's cookie cutter. And I think yeah. too many times, you know, what leaders can really learn from what, you know, employees and quite frankly, the last few organizations I've worked for, we intentionally call them teammates, which I love because I yeah. do believe it's a team sport of how you do yeah. the work together. You know, I, you can over architect it so much so that it doesn't even have a realistic view. Like if I try to tell leaders or other folks that I'm working with, let's just talk about it as if we were sitting in a coffee shop visiting about it. Like let's, let's not try to get overly analytical around it. Now, some cases you, you know, some things you need to be really conscientious of, and yes, you need to be thoughtful around those, but I think in some cases where you're saying like, how do we create an inclusive environment? How do we create an environment where everybody feels like they're bringing their best self to work and feels like, quite frankly, they can bring their authentic self to work? Ask people. I mean, isn't that a monumental idea? Ask the people that are working in your environment what that would mean to them. And and the magic will happen there. Too many times we think we have to sit in boardrooms and do this thing and and make all these decisions when really asking the questions of your people who work with you so many of the answers are there. I am a huge believer in crowdsourcing yep. and the wisdom of the crowd and the yep. wisdom of our people in our organization, because they're the ones doing the work and they have some of the very best ideas for what could catapult our business further. So listeners of this podcast, that's a familiar theme. So <laughs> they'll, they'll recognize that right away. Cause I talk about that all the time. I agree mm-hmm. with you hundred percent. So that's uh, as a young leader, I used to think I, I needed to have all the answers, but as a seasoned leader. Now I realize I just have to have the right questions and all the answers are right there in the team. So I'm using that. I'm using that, John, (laughs) because I love that. It's absolutely, you don't have to have the answers. You have to have the right questions. I love that. Yeah. Steal it. So that's really good. So, so this is exciting. This, this book is really neat. I just love how you, um, you know, I've taken the stories from your childhood, the lessons from your father and weaved into these stories that can really can help people manage their their careers and make those make the right decisions for their life and the things that they want to do. So I think that's really powerful. So so congratulations on the new book. I'm, I'm really excited for you. How can people find out more about this book and more and more about you in general? Great. Well, there the, the book is live now. It's available on Amazon. So you can simply search for Marnie Andy's book or start with the Give Me Shots. You'll find it there where you can order it. And they can also connect with me at MarnieAndies.com. One of the things that I am continuing to do is write about concepts that maybe weren't necessarily in the book or additional stories that didn't make it into the book. 
And one of the things that are, is really, really important to me, and we've talked about it already, which is the sense of community. Mm. And I really believe that if, if there's any time like the present to start creating not just a connection with one another, but a deep connection with mm. one another. And that's part of the work that I'm starting to put out there, which is how do we do this through asking the right questions, right. asking thoughtful questions rather than just, how are you doing, John? Oh, right. good. Right. How are you doing, Marnie? Yeah. I mean, really getting to the place where yeah. we're exploring, you know, concepts together. And really yeah. it's nothing more than our own opinions and our thoughts. So yeah. Yeah. if they go there, they can sign up for my newsletter and they'll also see more writing and other things that I'm sharing. Fantastic. Well, we'll put links to that in the show notes so everybody can uh, find that. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show and I'm excited for you in this book. And um, again, I just encourage people to look it up. It's on Amazon. We'll put a link to it. It's start with the give me shots, eight homegrown lessons for business and life. And I really appreciate you being on the show. Yeah. Thanks so much, John. It was great to have a conversation with you and I can't wait to pick up your book too. (laughs) Thank you very much. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care.